Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's called grace. You know, grace is an interesting word. When you look at the word grace, you just look at the word grace. The word grace can mean many things. And matter of fact, it means many things to people. We refer to coordinated movements as being graceful. Matter of fact, those who watch ballet, they will also refer to that as very graceful movement. But they use the word grace to define those movements. Also, something else that often is done, and you hear people use this phrase all the time, it's about saying grace before your meal. And so we use it in, we use it in that avenue or in that vein, okay? Matter of fact, people are even referred to as bringing grace to events that they attend. Matter of fact, someone comes to an event, you know, isn't it amazing the grace that they bring with them when they come? So the word grace has has a lot of meaning to different folks. When you look in the scripture, we will be in 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, the life of David, as we continue. This is one of those, it's one of those glimpses that were given into the heart of David that is just, it's, 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 an, amazing, it's, a, it's an amazing passage of scripture. Matter of fact, when you look at the text and you consider the text and you consider the word grace, grace can also mean unmerited favor. And so when we consider that definition of grace, unmerited favor, what does that really mean, unmerited favor? Well, unmerited favor means extending special favor to someone who does not deserve it. And absolutely in no way deserve it. Who hasn't earned it and can never repay it. And I want you just to consider that thought for just a moment. Special favor being extended to someone who does not deserve it. Who hasn't earned it and can never repay it. As you come to 2 Samuel chapter number 9, we come... Before the difficult closing years of David's reign, from chapter 10 on, things are going to get very difficult for David. And when I say difficult, I don't think words could ever begin to paint the difficulties that David is going to experience in the remaining portion of his life. A man after God's own heart. But we are given a glimpse into how David, at his best, As we come to chapter 9, lives up to the ideal of a covenant king and to who he was. Chapter 8 of 2 Samuel, there is a rest that occurs. Matter of fact, there's peace, there's rest. And so coming out of that peace and rest, we come to chapter number 9. And David is going to enter into something that had been spoken earlier in his life, after he was anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 and 17 until he finally took the throne in Hebron and now in Jerusalem, 
David is going to go back and David is going to see to it that he fulfills something. In verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 9, I want you to notice it says, Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul? One of the things that I want you to notice is the phrase, is yet, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? For what reason? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. That word kindness there is actually the Hebrew word chesed. And here's what it means. It can also mean grace. It means kindness. It means grace. It means approval. And so when you, when you consider that word, David says that I can show grace or kindness for Jonathan's sake. So what did he mean by that, by that statement, for Jonathan's sake? Well, one of the things that you need to understand up to this point, David had made two promises not only a promise to Jonathan, but he also made a promise to Saul before he died. And so David, fulfilling those promises and the covenant that he made, not just with Jonathan, but also with Saul. If you will hold your place in 2 Samuel chapter 9, turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And we'll look at the first one. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Not just one promise, but two. 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 13. And I want you to notice. If it please my father to do you harm, Jonathan speaking about his father Saul, who was king. May the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also. If I do not make it known to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Now, I want you to understand there is a cultural situation here as well. When a king was removed from the throne, matter of fact, the new king who came in would always execute all of the household of the king coming off of the throne. And the reason for that was to prevent any way of there being a coup attempt on the throne again from a family member. So that was Jonathan's concern here, as that as per culture and as those things would occur, that David would promise that he would not, that he would not take that same action. And so, verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hand of at the hands of David's enemies. And so Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. So this promise and this covenant was made between Jonathan and David that at the end, when all was said and done, 
that any of those who remained of Saul's house would not be cut off. Well, go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I want you to notice the second one. 1 Samuel 24, verse 20 through verse 22. David spares Saul's life. He has, he has the opportunity that he could have taken the life of Saul, but he didn't do it. Even what was taking place and even in all of the difficulty that David experienced at the hand of Saul... One of the things that David refused to do was to take Saul's life. And one of the things that David had made the comment in the statement that he would not take Saul's life because it was not up to him to lay his hand against the anointed one that God had placed on the throne. And so David refused to take Saul's life. But as Saul is going to perish, I want you to notice in verse 20 as Saul's life will eventually come to an end in a battle. But before that, I want you to notice verse 20. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king. Saul speaking of David. I know that you're going to be the king. And that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me. And that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. And so David swore to Saul. So not only to Jonathan, but he also made a promise to Saul. So there were two of them. That David would not cut off the descendants of Saul's house in their death. And Saul went to his home, verse 22. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter number 9. So I want you to notice the response in verse 2 to verse 3. David asked the question. He said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness or grace for Jonathan's sake? Verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zabah, and they called him to David. You can only imagine what was probably going through the mind of Zabah when he's called before the king and before he's called, called before David. I would imagine that he probably thought that this was it. He was probably getting ready to lose his life because he was of the household of Saul. He was a servant in the household of Saul. But they called him to David and the king said to him, Are you Zabah? And he said, and I want you to notice how he responds, I am your servant. Verse 3, the king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness or the hased or grace of God? And Zabah said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. Now, he could have just stopped right there and put a period, but he didn't. He said, there is a son of Jonathan, but one of the things you also need to understand, he's crippled in both feet. David says immediately to go find him. Immediately. He didn't pause. He didn't wait. 
but he told him to immediately go find him. But I also want you to understand something. David never asked how badly crippled he is or how it happened. As far as David was concerned, it was immaterial. He had made a promise and a covenant with Jonathan and with Saul, and David was going to carry it through. And what he was going to do, he was going to show grace or kindness to the household of Saul, regardless of who he was, this individual, and regardless of the condition that he was in. How, what happened to him? Well, I can tell you the name sometimes can be a little difficult to pronounce. His name is Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth is crippled in both of his feet. And so Mephibosheth is the one that Ziba is going to go and bring back to David. So what happened to him? Well, if you flip back to 2 Samuel chapter number 4 we can see what happened to him. 2 Samuel chapter number 4. Is there was upheaval with inside of the line of authority and those who were going to the throne and some who tried to usurp that line. After all of that difficulty, we come to chapter 4 of 2 Samuel and we find what happened to Mephibosheth. If you look at verse 4, of 2 Samuel chapter 4, you'll see what happened. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. Why? Saul's dead, Jonathan's dead. So guess what that means? We're probably going to lose our life as well. So he's picked up and they're carried away. And so in this picking up and carrying away, the nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now let's go back to chapter 9. David says immediately to go find him. Didn't ask how badly crippled he was or how it happened. And so the first thing that I want to share with you this morning on the discussion of grace is what we find here in this passage. Number one is this. When he told to go bring Mephibosheth, one of the things I want you to understand about Mephibosheth is he had nothing. He deserved nothing, and he could repay nothing. That's who Mephibosheth was. He had nothing. Matter of fact, he had probably in his own life placed himself into this exile in a place called Lodabar, placed himself in exile there, but he had nothing. He was in exile. He deserved nothing because now the throne was occupied by David. And so according to culture, everyone that was in Saul's household would be eliminated. And he absolutely had no means and no way to repay anything. Why? He's crippled in both feet. So he had absolutely nothing. 
If you don't get anything else out of this today, here's, here's, here's what I want you to take away from it. This same is true today for us. When we consider our own lives today, we're in the same place. We have nothing. We deserve nothing. And there's absolutely no way we could ever repay any of it. You see, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done at all. Matter of fact, if you turn with me to Titus chapter 3, is Paul in his letter to Titus, as he speaks about this and encouraging Titus, I want you to, to just this morning, I, I want you just, if you can, to get a hold of this. Understanding in light of who Mephibosheth was and who David was and who we are today with the holy God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through verse 7. He saved us. Paul writing to Titus, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We would be made heirs to this hope of eternal life. We had nothing. We have nothing. We deserve nothing. We can repay nothing. It is simply because of his grace for us. That's who we are when we consider the magnitude of this. You see, that's what grace is about. Grace operates apart from the response or the ability of the individual. It doesn't make any difference who you are. It doesn't make any difference as your own ability. It doesn't make any difference as to, to, to what you have to offer here. It is all about the grace of God himself. Having nothing, deserving nothing, can't repay anything. Mephibosheth had nothing, deserved nothing, could not repay anything because of who he was. You see, grace is God giving himself for us in full acceptance to someone who does not deserve it and can never, ever earn it and will never be able to repay it. That's what grace is all about. You see, in this passage, King by the name of David, stoops down and reaches out to one Mephibosheth who was not deserving. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and we'll pick up in verse number 4. Second Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 4. So the king said to him, so where is he? And Zabah said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house 
of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. As a matter of fact, Lodabar was a city of Gad. That's where Lodabar was considered to be. From a city of Gad, which would be under the control of the Philistines. And so that's where he went into exile. Verse 6. So Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. Mephibosheth knew he deserved nothing. Mephibosheth knew he had nothing. And matter of fact, Mephibosheth knew that his life lay in the hands of David. You know, when we, when we, consider, our, we, when we consider our own lives today, what significance of this picture is for us. And let me say something else to you. It was not easy being crippled to fall prostrate in front of David. I'm sure that would have been a difficult process, but he still prostrated himself in front of David. And he referred to himself here as a servant of David. Verse 7, and David said to him, do not fear. You know, that's an interesting phrase there, do not fear. That's the same that we hear from Jesus Christ in the Gospels when he says, do not fear. I've come to bring life and to bring life more abundantly. And so David tells Mephibosheth, there's no reason, Mephibosheth, for you to be afraid. There is no reason for you to fear. Because notice he says, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. That's an interesting phrase, and you shall eat at my table regularly, because that's one out of four times that that phrase is made to Mephibosheth. You will eat at my table regularly. Didn't deserve it. Had nothing to offer. But David said, you will eat at my table regularly. Verse 8, and again, he prostrated himself and he said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? That's quite a statement by Mephibosheth. I don't know if you understand the significance of that statement as a dead dog, but here's what that statement means. He means one of no account. Mephibosheth says, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog? In other words, a person of no account like me. David, why would you do it? David, why in the world would you do something like that? And the question for us today, and I hear people ask this question a lot, why would God love somebody like me? Let me tell you why. Because it doesn't have anything to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who he is. It's called grace. That's what it's called. It's, 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 it's the grace that comes from a loving God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God proved his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay his life down for his friend. It's called grace. 
And there is nobody in this building this morning that is deserving of that grace. None of us. Mephibosheth wasn't. But David said, based on the covenant and the promise that I made with Jonathan, your father, you're going to eat at my table regularly. And matter of fact, that is not just the end of it. Look at verse 9. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all of his house I have given to your master's grandson. All of it I've given to you. It's yours. Verse 10, you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. That's the, that's the second time he said that. That is the second time that that has been spoken of about Mephibosheth. So what does it say? David is emphasizing what is taking place here in the relationship. The end of verse 10, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? Verse 11, and then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, and I please do not miss this. He ate at David's table as one of his what? One of his sons. As one of David's sons. Do we have a picture here? We do. It's a picture of the grace of God himself toward us. Because for us... It's important. And you say, from what means? Well, point number two. David brought him from a place of barrenness to a place of honor. Because he set him at his own table to eat at the king's table. Matter of fact, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8. What a picture that is. Of us in our relationship with the Lord as a believer. Brought from nothing, deserving nothing, having nothing. Brought to a place that we're considered an heir as his child. And we have an inheritance that is yet to come for us. Romans chapter five, chapter 8, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Notice David said, don't fear. Mephibosheth referred to himself at David's feet as his servant. And David said, hold on just a minute. You're going to be taken care of. Matter of fact, you're going to eat at my table regularly. And Zabah is going to take care and make sure that everything that is owned, because you don't have the means to be able to do it, he will take care and make sure that all of that is harvested, gathered, and everything for your household. But you will eat at my table on a regular basis. Well, 
The next part of verse 15 of Romans 8. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Let me tell you something. David took Mephibosheth, adopted him into his own family, and he ate regularly at David's table. That's where he placed him. Do you, listen, I, I don't know if you understand the magnitude of this today at all. I hope you do. Do you realize that God took you from a place? He took you from a place and he's adopted you into his... You've been adopted into the family of God. Based on nothing you have, based on nothing you've done, based on nothing of who you are, only simply because of his grace. And that's what it's called. And so God shared that grace. He showed that grace. He gave us the free gift of grace for us in our lives. And you and I, just think about this. We have no means to ever repay it. It's called simply grace. Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children notice this, we've been adopted. And so therefore, if we're his child, we're also an heir. You ready for this? An heir to something that you and I do not deserve. At all. We're an heir to something we do not deserve. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. To suffer with him. To let it be known that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. May there be difficult times ahead of us. Let me ask you a question. Were there difficult times ahead of Mephibosheth? I'm sure there were. Just from his own ailment that he had. But he ate regularly at the king's table. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Imagine the scene, if you could with me, and let's go back to 2 Samuel. Imagine the scene. Mephibosheth hobbling to make it to the table. I mean, could you, could you imagine hearing Mephibosheth coming down? To sit at the king's table. You see, that's who Mephibosheth was. He saw himself as a servant of David. My question today is who do we see ourselves for God? Paul referred to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ, a servant. Point three, David adopted him, adopted him into his family, and he became one of the king's sons. Notice with me verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at, the, 
8 at David's table. Please underline this next part because it changes now as one of the king's what? Sons. You see that? No longer did he just eat regularly at his table, but now as you come to the third time, as one of the king's sons. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Zabah were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate at the king's table regularly. You know, he could have stopped right there with a period. But I want you to notice the last phrase that is tacked on to the end of it. Now he was lame in both feet. Now he was lame in both feet. You see, this isn't the end of the story. You see, that same grace continues today. For those who are without Christ. Matter of fact, those who who are searching for an answer as to what life is all about could be on the run. Could find themselves in a very dark, deep place. But let me say something to you this morning. Nobody, I don't care who they are, I don't care where they are in life, is ever, ever outside the reach of His grace. Never. Never. And now He was lame in both feet. I have pondered that statement at the end of verse 13 the whole time I've spent on this passage of Scripture. And I believe the answer to it for me, this is my opinion. Now I want you to understand this is my opinion. I honestly believe that our sin is a constant reminder of God's grace. Our sin is a constant reminder of God's grace. He was crippled. Mephibosheth had nothing to offer. He deserved nothing. Matter of fact, Mephibosheth should have been dead. But he's alive. Putting his feet under the table of David, the king. As one of his sons. And he could never repay for it. And his crippledness was probably a reminder constantly to him. I'm sitting at the king's table and have nothing to bring. How often for us do we sit at the king's table and have nothing within ourselves to bring? It's called grace. That's what it's called. Unmerited favor of which we do not deserve. And so therefore... Just as grace has been extended to us, how much more should we extend grace 
to those around us. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's bow our heads together this morning in closing. This morning in closing, if you're here today and don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you're watching online this morning, maybe you're here in the auditorium, you've never come to that place in your heart and life where you've given Jesus Christ, you've placed your trust and faith in him, then I'd encourage you today that through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that you do so. It'll be the greatest, listen, it'll be the greatest decision that you ever make in your life. But it's also called grace. And for us as believers today, we need to take some time and just pause sometimes and think about what we have through his grace. Because we certainly don't deserve it. Amen. Let's bow our heads.